0: Hey, I'm Max Moynihan,
1: And I'm Henry Lin, and welcome to Better World. Better Worlds is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing it.
2: No matter how much time or money you spend to look at the carbon footprint of, of growing cotton, for instance... It's not a verifiable measurement, and there are a lot of really cool and exciting companies working on making it possible to measure the impact at the farm level, but it's not possible yet. What is possible is to know the exact carbon footprint of what's made in factories, and that's 76% of supply chain impacts, and those are the impacts that BERT Science measures and then maps out how to actually decarbonize.
1: Max, I have been remiss, horribly remiss. (laughs) I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the incredible work that future earth has been doing with over 415,000 followers on the internet. The foundation has educated many millions of people and we have not taken a step back to appreciate All of the things from Good News Tuesday to Meet the Creators um, to some of your most recent partnerships and your growth has been incredible. I wanted to acknowledge that you've been an absolute light in the climate space and we're all incredibly grateful for you. Thank you for your work, Max.
0: Henry, our friendship started out with a message like this out of nowhere and I screenshotted it and I sent it to someone. I was just like, what's his story?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who's that guy and what's he on?
0: And that's how oh. our friendship started. So I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: I can assure you that this was not sponsored by psilocybin, okay? And we can get <laughs> back to the real problem at hand, which is fashion, all right? The fashion industry is one of the greatest wasters on the planet, Max. Go off, Max. Go off.
0: And And the thing about fashion is I like to just wear it more than I like to talk about it. So we're changing that today because I found something that actually – spoke to me because it wasn't greenwashing, it wasn't a little baby step fix, it wasn't like, it actually is addressing the fashion problem in a really meaningful way. And it's nerdy and technical on one end and really sexy and cool on the other. It's all the things in one. So I am very excited to speak with Haley Boyd of Vert Science, which helps fashion brands make climate positive clothing without offsets. Welcome to the podcast, Haley. Thank you so much for having me. Can you just start us off with, like, I gave the tiniest teaser. Tell us a little bit more about what it is, what's your mission statement, and I know you haven't exactly launched yet, so what your timeline looks like. Yeah, we've kind of been working in
2: stealth mode with some pilot partners over the past year, but we are ready to kind of come out of the woodwork and and share everything that we're building, and so I'm really excited for this to kind of be my first time sharing everything. Um, we are basically on a mission to help fashion brands literally opt into decarbonization. We want it to be possible for any brand of any size of any level of sustainability to say, I want to get on track to decarbonize. I want to know my exact carbon footprint and start taking measurable steps to get to net zero. And the fashion industry has the technology and the know-how to get kind of 80 to 90% of the way to decarbonization. Um, and so we need to start taking those steps. And so Vert Sciences' role is to help make that happen. And we do that kind of in two parts. The first is to turn their factories into smart buildings so that we can tell fashion brands the exact carbon footprint of everything that they make inside a factory. And then the second step is for the fashion brand to use Vert Science software um, to plan out how they're going to reduce the carbon footprint of every product that they make step by step. Um, And we can kind of dive into what, what those steps look like.
0: And what was the itch that you were scratching when you decided, when you had that aha moment of like, this is what I'm gonna do? Because you, you work in fashion before this, correct?
2: Yes, I owned a fashion brand, um, a shoe company for about 10 years. And a little over five years ago, um, sustainability really became much more of a talking point in the fashion industry. And I think all of a sudden, it was more than just like Patagonia and Stella McCartney that were quote unquote sustainable brands. It was something that there was a lot of interest in and a lot of buzz around. And I think. At that point, and we're still kind of in, at a point where people don't totally understand what that means. It's kind of a dirty word. It's too vague. It's honestly not one that that I I, I use very much. Um, but when sustainability became kind of a thing in fashion, I became really interested and curious to know exactly where my products came from, how they were made, and what are all the environmental impacts that happen across the supply chain when people are owning products and when they eventually dispose of them. Um, And so kind of diving in and just getting interested in sustainability was sort of step one for me. And I I really went down the rabbit hole and learned about everything from like regenerative agriculture to polymer chemistry, compostability, biodegradability. Um, I, I was just so curious. And I read articles and listened to podcasts. And when I heard someone interesting being interviewed, I would just like blindly email them or DM them on Instagram and be like, do you have 20 minutes? I have a lot of questions for you. And people were so generous and I'd wind up having this like three hour phone call with someone with a PhD in green chemistry about, you know, biodegradability. And I was just sort of fascinated. Um, And I realized at a certain point, I'm spending all of my time researching about climate change. And one of the things that I learned about in that time was that we don't actually measure the carbon footprint of almost anything we're estimating carbon. And when you estimate carbon, the margin of error generally is is pretty significant. Um, there are examples where measuring a carbon footprint gives you a result that's 80% lower than when you estimate it. And so it's a big enough margin of error that- How does that, sorry, how does that happen? We, I don't know if this is like two in the weeds, but so I'll try to kind of uh, put it in a nutshell. No, Max loves but, the weeds. We love the weeds. Okay. We love loves the weeds, smokes weed. them every day, yes. let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to know the carbon footprint of a product, you break it down into pieces. So, take a pair of shoes. It's made of leather. A buckle. Um, it's dyed a certain color. That's a, a machine has to do um, has to do that. And you kind of, if you break the the product down into all of the components across the supply chain, generally what's done is that you go to a big database and you source a carbon value to represent each of those parts. And each carbon value that you're sourcing from a database is not a measurement of exactly what happened when you made that specific product, it's an estimate for something similar. And so there's a range of how specific your estimate can be, but if you are figuring out the carbon footprint of a product by sourcing values from one of these databases, it's always gonna be an estimate and it's never gonna become a measurement. If you actually want to measure the carbon footprint of a product, What you need to do is put a smart sensor on a piece of machinery that is used to make the product and capture the exact amount of energy that was used. And you need to know if the energy was coming from coal, solar panels, what type of energy, what type of energy, how much energy. And then you can figure out a verifiable carbon measurement that is
0: precise and accurate and kind of like indisputable. So measuring the, the kinds of things along the manufacture of a product that you can measure with sensors is most of where the emissions are coming from. Yes. So you're, you're still relying on some estimates in your formula, but most of it you, you, but now like the biggest chunk of the emissions for making that product, you can actually measure with sensors. Exactly. Okay.
2: Um, And I think there's a lot of kind of confusion and misinformation around the impact of raw materials. Um, because usually when you know people just talk so much about kind of the impact of cotton and leather and other things, and obviously raw material impact is huge, but it encompasses extraction of raw materials. So like growing the cotton on a farm, and it also includes turning that fluffy cotton fiber into a textile. And so if you look at the supply chain impact, like everything that happens across farms and factories in the fashion industry, That is 96% of fashion's impact happens there. And that's according to Apparel Impact Institute. So great data.
0: That's insane.
2: (laughs) If you break down, and that doesn't include consumer use, like washing and drying clothes. Like that's, we're just looking at the direct impact of the fashion industry. So 96% of fashion's impact happens in the supply chain. And then 76% of supply chain impacts happen in buildings. So not on a farm. So selecting a raw material and accounting for the impact of, you know, drilling the oil and turning it into plastic like that is a very complex evaluation. And today we do not have the ability to accurately measure the impacts of extracting raw materials, no matter how much time or money you spend to look at the carbon footprint of of growing cotton, for instance. It's not a verifiable measurement, and there are a lot of really cool and exciting companies working on making it possible to measure the impact at the farm level, but it's not possible yet. What is possible is to know the exact carbon footprint of what's made in factories, and that's 76% of supply chain impacts, and those are the impacts that Science measures, and then maps out how to actually decarbonize.
0: Okay, so why I love this so much is because when there's no transparency and we don't understand and we can't even imagine, wrap our heads around what a supply chain looks like, we focus on the lowest hanging fruit. So I've seen consumers and brands the same focus on, for example, the poly bags, the plastic bags that items will come in and say, hey, you know, like I love this brand because now they're using compostable poly bags or like someone with a brand saying, hey, you know, I want to do something about all this plastic that we're creating when we make our products. So I'm going to use a compostable poly bag. Like, Yes, that intention is good. And I'm not trying to point my finger out or blame anyone that's trying to do something positive. But I I I really understand how it's just easy to pick at the lowest hanging fruit when you don't see all of this stuff happening behind the scenes, which is kind of what happened to you. You went to a factory yourself and your mind was blown and you're like, wait, I'm going to 180 my whole relationship with fashion right now, which is awesome. So yeah, I just, I just really, really, really would love for people to see that the solutions that, that we should be talking about and scaling go way beyond your poly bag. So thank you for doing that.
2: It's really important to have context. I think anything that you are doing in sustainability um, or environmental or social impact, you need to know if you're, if you want to spend time or money to do better, you should have some context into what the kind of like the, the range of possible impact is. And so, you know, in the future, so what
1: are those solutions on decarbonization? You know, what, what are the things that you guys recommend or do?
2: We help we help brands to see exactly where the carbon comes from down to the machine and process level at the actual factories that are producing their goods. So it's kind of – it's like 24-7 so live. So can you
1: swap out machines or do you just have to swap out energy? Like what are the changes that uh, they have to undergo?
2: It's both of those things. And if you were to draft a decarbonization roadmap for a factory – It's mostly a list of infrastructure that needs to be purchased. So you're going to need to buy solar panels and a new boiler and different machinery and all of these things that cost money. Um, And so what we do is build software where a fashion brand can see the exact carbon footprint of their products with data that's streaming directly out of the factories they're actually working with. And then... They see the carbon footprint today. That's their baseline, and then they're able to look at this menu of climate solutions, which is actionable steps and investments that can be made to reduce the carbon footprint. And they can. And every factory is different. Putting a new boiler into some factories reduces the impact by ten percent, and at others, it's thirty or forty percent. And so, what brands can do is say, "I want to forecast the impact of my product if." our factory has this new boiler and maybe they have that new boiler in five years. So you're going to know five years out, if this investment is made, it's going to reduce the impact of everything we make at this factory by 20%. And then when a fact, when a brand is starting to kind of put together a climate target, and by the way, more than a third of major fashion brands have public climate targets through SBTI, which is kind of like the gold standard in establishing a climate target. What is SBTI? science-based targets initiative. And so if you're a brand and you're really serious about reducing your carbon footprint, you can draft a roadmap um, and you can kind of share the details through SBTI and say something like, we're going to reduce the carbon footprint of our our entire company by 50% by 2035. And then in order to have that that climate target listed on the SBTI website, and this is all publicly available, you can go and kind of browse and see which, which companies that you're kind of a fan of or familiar with are, are involved. If you're a company that wants to set a public climate target through SBTI, you need to do a lot of work to figure out how you're going to meet that target. And so it's, you know, it's a standard that I think you can trust. And when you see that a brand chooses to, to declare their target through SBTI, they're pretty serious about it.
1: Okay. Wow. If you had, you know, like the magic wand and you were able to fix the majority of these factories worldwide over time, like if you got to scale, how impactful would it be? What what percentage of the problem um, is the production um, and supply chain side of this problem versus something like shipping delivery?
2: It's really huge because fashion sort of encompasses if we, if we do account for, for farm level impacts and factory impacts and transportation and kind of all of the fashion supply chain impacts, the estimates range, and this is a huge range, but it just goes back to, we don't know the carbon footprint of anything yet. Um, but people are estimating that fashions impact is somewhere between two and 10% of global emissions. And so it's much larger than say like the aviation industry. So it's really significant. Um, I think sometimes people hear fashion and just kind of like tune out and say, oh, it's fluff. It's not serious. But it is a very kind of huge and influential industry that spans, you know. No,
1: but they're killing the planet and their supply chains and labor practices aren't great. And, you know, like you, you found the audience who agrees with you there for sure. And who's at least woke to that. Is it more profitable for them to decarbonize? Does it become more efficient? Does it have additional other upsides?
2: When you're looking at efficiencies and you are maybe using your vert science dashboard you you work at a brand and you're in your vert science dashboard and you make a selection like ooh, i think i want to make the dye process 10 minutes shorter and then so for 10 minutes this machine isn't going to be on and it's not going to be using emitting carbon and using water that's an efficiency that potentially saves both the factory and the brand money And time. And so with efficiencies, you are saving money. When you're talking about making investments into infrastructure, that costs money. Um, Of course. And upfront, it costs money, but long term, there are savings. And so really, it's just an issue of kind of like financing the upfront cost of getting started.
1: Right. But this is good business out of the gate it's them.
2: definitely good business and also in the same way that that brands are they're building their company based on the value of environmental and, and social awareness suppliers are doing the same thing and the factories that we're working with they um their their primary value proposition is that they are lower carbon and use less water and fewer toxic chemicals and they do that's how they're winning the brands exactly the factories are branded in the same way that the brands are branded and so they really care about this stuff and it's just really nice to see that how many companies out there are making these investments and the bottom line always matters and is so important, but that's not the only reason that right. brands and factories are, are kind of taking the
0: plunge on these things. They really care. I'm curious about the dynamic between brands and factories and vert science, because the brands don't necessarily own the factories that they're working with. And then the recommendations that you have all involve big investments um, in the factories. So how does that play out? Are they splitting the costs? Who's paying for it?
2: It's a great question. And one of the things that makes it possible for vert science to exist is that brands typically do not own their factories. They work with third parties and an apparel factory can work with anywhere between 100 to thousands of fashion brands. And so we see this really exciting opportunity to actually crowdfund the infrastructure that will Mm. power this low carbon fashion supply chain. And so we're still kind of sorting out exactly how this will happen. Um, Right now we're building out the, the first version of our software that enables brands to stream live carbon data from factories and map out Um, step-by-step how they'll reduce carbon. The next thing that we'll be tackling is, okay, we've mapped out all the steps that need to be taken, and we know exactly how much carbon is going to be reduced when each investment is made. Who's going to pay for this stuff? How do we share the cost? And and how do we move the ball forward? And I'm sure this is going to be a combination of grant funding that comes in different parts of the world. Um, And part of it probably will be brands actually crowdfunding and sharing the cost of the investments. A lot of brands that are committed to, to being more sustainable or lower impact are offsetting. And so they are estimating the carbon footprint and then investing in reforestation and carbon capture and projects that eliminate or avoid that the same amount of carbon as their company emits um, from winding up in the atmosphere. But they're investing in stuff that isn't directly connected to their business. And there's this new idea called insets where a company instead Insets.
0: Of... I haven't heard this
2: one yet. Yeah. So instead of investing in something that is not directly connected to manufacturing your products and running your business, how can you take that money and invest directly into your business? And so I, I hope that the idea of insetting gains momentum and brands become interested in shifting their offset budget over to investments that go directly into their supply chain and that will then compound year over year, and they can track and verify exactly what what the result of that investment is. That makes good sense. No matter how much you invest in offsets... You're never gonna, we're not decarbonizing fashion by making those investments, unfortunately. And there's probably gonna be somewhere around 10% of the fashion industry's impact that we can't decarbonize. And so then we are gonna need to find some really good quality offsets. But I think we need to start by like turning off the tap and addressing the actual carbon footprint of um, a fashion company. And by the way, I think fashion brands need to give themselves a little bit more credit when they're thinking about. Carbon and their ability to reduce it and really focus on their own business. That's what they know. Yes. Um, Instead of trying to learn about, oh, well, how are we going to protect the Amazon? Like that, you don't know about that probably. (laughs) And you certainly know a lot more about your own supply chain than you do about protecting the Amazon, which I definitely think we should protect the Amazon. But I think that fashion brands should stick to what they know, and and whatever sector you're in,
0: decarbonize your sector. Don't try to decarbonize other stuff. That's so well said. I get so frustrated when someone with, like, so much agency and expertise and skills uh, gets all fixated on, like, figuring out how to recycle properly or something, for example, and asks me that question, rather than realizing how much agency they have within their expertise. So... I feel that a hundred percent. I think people in the fashion space, it's understandable why they fall into offsets because the second they sort of like take the trash can and dump it in the middle of the room and like analyze how big the problem is, it's, it's really overwhelming to know what to do about it. So having a tool, making it easy for them, you know, not everyone's like you and going to get super curious and, and, and go into the weeds and they just want a solution that that makes things easy for them that they can plug and play into. So when, when you are hit with that like moment of anxiety of, Oh my God, this is a big problem. Um, coming in with a solution is just also so key.
2: It's a great point. And whatever we come up with, if it's going to be adopted across an industry, it needs to be turnkey. It needs to be affordable. It needs to be something that everybody, everybody who wants to do it, they need to be able to pull the trigger and do it. And so that is something that we definitely are are thinking about when, when we're building Vert science. If we need too much of a brand's time, for instance, if it's 30 hours of legwork to get set up, which it is for a lot of carbon accounting um, platforms, that is a that's a roadblock for a brand. And a lot right. of companies don't, they either don't have that time or they don't want to spend that time. So how can we just like eliminate that and make it easy to sign up?
0: So how many brands do you have that you're working with currently?
2: We are currently doing a pilot with Reformation and we're in the process of signing up um, our next five or 10 brands.
1: Amazing. And where are those production facilities located for those brands?
2: We are right now exclusively in Turkey. And so we're working with cut and sew factories, dye houses, mills—kind of a range of, of factories and a range of sizes of factories and a range of sustainability levels. So it's been really interesting to see what what the roadmap looks like based on the starting point of of each of these suppliers.
1: But you have to go worldwide, presumably to you know every factory everywhere.
2: Absolutely. We're just trying, as we're a young startup, and so we're trying to kind of uh, keep keep everything as close as we can um, geographically. Um, so we'll be kind of moving throughout Europe, um, but we're, we're talking to partners all over the world, in, in
0: Brazil, in Australia, um, yeah. and also in the U.S. I'm so happy to see that the appetite for these things is rapidly growing, and there are so many brands that are ready for this step. But I'm wondering... I still think there are so many that aren't. So when you're talking to a brand, how do you sort of gut check that they're willing to put in the work to really make a difference?
2: We, um, at this point, are really kind of almost inviting specific brands that we really want to work with um, to be a part of of Burt Science. And so we're targeting brands that are either seriously interested in reducing their impact and and ready to to spend some money and and, and really get get going with it or we're talking to brands that you know, have already been managing their carbon for many years, um, have used all the tools that are available, are dissatisfied, and they're looking for something else. And so we can learn a lot from from brands that have kind of tried everything that's out there and they're still looking for something different. They have a lot of kind of wisdom that they bring to the table. And so the brands that we are working with come from one of those two camps. But the thing that is uh, kind of consistent across the board and kind of a requirement for working with us at this stage is that a brand has found suppliers and kind of done the work to to figure out which factories they they want to be working with. The thing, I think something that a lot of people are not aware of is that there aren't sourcing decisions today that enable you to decarbonize. We are working with and in talks with the most sustainable brands in the industry and they don't have they haven't gotten anywhere near net zero and they're working with the best suppliers out there. And so I think we all need to understand that even the best of the best have, have a long way to go. And so what we're doing right now is kind of working with the best of the best with, with brands and factories, um, and figuring out how do they get to net zero. And then we'll continue to kind of like open up to, to kind of more beginner level sustainability as well, kind of like as we grow.
0: And when you say sourcing, can you just uh, paint that picture a little bit better? Sure. So like if you work
2: at a fashion brand and there are products in development, let's say you have a t-shirt line coming out, you need to source where all of the components of the shirt are going to come from and be made. So you're going to basically pick farms and factories that make the product. That's sourcing. You can find regenerative cotton farms to reduce the impact of of cotton, and you can find um, incredible fabric mills and dye houses that have already invested in energy efficient machinery and are taking exciting steps to recycle water and and do all kinds of things. But finding great partners is a really important step in any fashion brands kind of journey to becoming more sustainable and eventually reaching net zero. And we, since it's, it's a big investment for Vert Science to turn a factory into a smart building. And so when we take the step and make that investment, we ideally want the brand that brought us that factory to be able to use the data that we are going to be making available for many years to come. If we go, if we turn a factory into a smart building, and then the brand decides to leave that factory six months later, that's just like not helpful to the brand. So um, it's really for the bra- for the brand to benefit them. It makes sense for them to choose factories that they plan to work with for a long time to come. And really kind of the idea of vert science is this long-term collaborative relationship between brands and factories. They, they're going to decarbonize by working together. Um, and so this idea of like hopping around from supplier to supplier, like, oh, I found someone that's slightly lower impact. I'm going to move to that factory. That... That reduces the impact of of your brand's impact, but it doesn't reduce the impact of the industry. And so I think if we're going to decarbonize the fashion industry, all of the suppliers in the fashion industry need to decarbonize.
0: I like what you're saying because it speaks to investing not just in this tech, but also investing in people and a place. Because uh, I'm just imagining, let's say there's a factory in Turkey that's making denim, and the only world in which the people that work in that factory know is that in order to, in order to support themselves, in order to make money, they have to be, for example, dyeing denim and polluting their local water. And, and there's no other kind of way. But then if you come in and say, hey, we can do this differently and we can actually clean up and stop polluting your, the people that live here and the land itself, with what we're doing and make that kind of long-term investment. It's just an all-around win. And I think that's really beautiful. It really is. Yeah. I'm glad that you
2: brought that up also because generally when there are sustainability initiatives or software being built in the fashion industry and something that I get asked all the time is how are you going to convince the factories to do it mm-hmm. and or, how are you going to force the factory to do it almost is is the tone. And I think we really need to reframe the way that we're thinking about Mm -hmm. the role of the factory. The factories hold all the cards. They um, they have the ability to actually make the decisions that will decarbonize the industry. They're so important. And the ones we're working with are incredibly knowledgeable and have done so much to move the ball forward already. So we, we want to say, Hey, factory, you're actually the hero here and the decision maker and you hold the cards. And we actually want to give you something that is as valuable. And we want you, we want the factory to benefit as much as the brand from joining Burt Science. And so being supplier friendly.
1: The brand is the one that um, gets the factory to convert. You guys sell ostensibly directly to the brand, not to the factory.
2: Yes, we, our business model is that fashion brands pay to use our software and everything that we do at the factory is free of charge to the factory. So that factory becomes a smart building and has access to cutting edge carbon management software free of charge. And we when are intention, we
1: lobbying for subsidies. Let's go. Yes. Government <laughs> money. All Right. Take it from the oil industry.
2: We want we want the factory when they learn about vert science to be like, Oh my God, I want to do that. And we it would be great if like we, we no longer even needed the introduction through an influential brand that works with the factory in order right. to get their attention. Um, so we're really, we're just uh, anytime that we're able
0: to add value to a factory, we definitely do it. I love all of this. I, I have nothing. I have, no, I have nothing right now.
1: Good. Max is blissed out. We accomplished our goal. Everybody. Great work. team. Great work um haley um, i would I wanted to ask just in closing whether or not there are some things that you think um the individual consumer could do because in listening to you, I hear that there should be some lobbying by the individual by the voter towards using that good old i r a money to help factories um decarbonize so, you know the connection between them using renewable energy, for example, so outside of you know writing your senators and being mindful of the process. Of supply chain decarbonization, what else can the individual listener and user do? Perhaps pressure the brands? Like, what do you think?
2: I always like when I hear something like pressure brands, I'm like, oh, I don't think anybody wants to be pressured or forced or coerced. I think it's more about like, there's this really cool thing happening. Have you heard about this? Like, I would love to see this brand sign up for Vert Science and set it. I want to see a net zero target. I think the conversation within sustainability like needs to get a lot more specific. And so I would encourage just any, any person who is interested in supporting sustainable fashion or any brand that wants their brand to kind of reduce its um, environmental impact to really think about quantifying. Can you put a number on your carbon emissions and your water use? And then when you're taking steps to make things better, track your progress. Um, So I think shifting from words to numbers is a really important shift that we need to make. And we definitely don't have carbon tunnel
0: vision. Like, we want to work on all kinds of impacts at BERT Science. We're just getting started with carbon. Carbon tunnel vision is a a visual that everyone needs to have. I mean, decarbonizing and carbon is the main focus for sure. But there's all these other things around it that we need to focus on, like different types of toxins and pollutants and environmental degradation.
2: Yeah, there's... So much to consider. And I've seen brands that are like, oh, we switched to polyester because it's lower carbon than cotton oh, or God. wool. And it's like, <laughs> ah! So we do really need to um, kind of consider the full picture and not have the carbon tunnel vision. But I do think as far as building vert science, like we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. And we're focused on what we see is kind of the most urgent and actionable impact. Um, And so we are really trying to kind of normalize and like familiarize everyone with the concept of actually of setting a net zero target and reporting on your progress as you, as you take steps to meet it. Um, we need to get a lot further than like 10% reduction. We need to actually start to figure out, okay, so long-term we actually do, and it's actually near term. We do need to like basically stop emitting carbon or get pretty close. So like what, how are we reasonably going to go and do that? And kind of, when you start to take little steps, make sure that those little steps are on track for
0: this longer-term, bigger goal. Haley, I think this is the perfect opportunity to plug your Slack community.
2: Oh, <laughs> um, yeah! So we Vert Science primarily is this is a, is a, is a tech platform um, that helps fashion brands decarbonize. Um, but we also have a free Slack community. Um, and any sustainably-minded brand that's in fashion or any other part of the CPG sector, um, you can join our community for free and kind of network and share resources with like-minded brands. And so we have CEOs and sustainability directors and heads of marketing and other people at over 100 really cool brands. And I get a lot of emails from people at cool companies asking for help or resources, and everyone is asking the same questions and kind of looking for the same assistance. And so I thought, why don't we all kind of just gather in this one place um and build a community where if you are looking for like recycled gift wrap for for your holiday rollout you can go into the vert science slack and click on the packaging channel and say hey everybody we're trying to source this does anybody have resources really straightforward things like that
1: how do we get there
2: if yeah just go to our our website is um kind of just a splash page right now and so if you just go to vert science.com
0: you will see um an
2: invitation to join slack so just click there I love that
0: also because we, when we think about like consumers and brands, we forget the people in the middle, which are the people that work at the brands. And I think there's a really big growing body. Maybe that's the right place where a little bit of pressure is needed with a big growing body of people that work at the brands that really see the impacts firsthand and want to make a change, but, you know, might not have the agency themselves. So bringing those things to the table is a really cool thing that they yeah, can do.
2: Absolutely. We also, um, our director of science provides a weekly session, which is like sustainability director on demand. So awesome. if you join the Slack community, you can kind of like book a session with her. And we also do like Zoom sessions with all kinds of industry experts and, and fun things. So yeah, I, I would definitely- So welcome. there's a
0: whole world out there. <laughs> yes. Okay.
1: A whole new <laughs> world. Vertscience.com. Make sure to go check it out. I just signed up and registered. It is that easy. Thank you very, very much, Haley, for joining us on the podcast today.
2: Thank you so much for having
1: me. And we would love to have you again, um, uh, particularly when you get to the point where you have taken over the world and made every factory uh, fit for Dr. Seuss and the Lorax and very interested to see how it grows and goes for you because I – I'm a deep believer in the decarbonization of supply chains. We talk a lot about fashion being the absolute worst and the CPG industry being the worst. But um, The
0: worst but also the best because there's so much room for change.
1: But the best. It's <laughs> because, a big ball Because, of because they potential. give us so much. I'm Henry Lin.
0: And I'm Max Moynian.
1: Uh, please join us again on the next episode of Better World. And thank you.